Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. Oh, I got it. You got it? Yep. Kids, you can be dismissed. That was easy. Uh, while the kids are being dismissed, uh, Kara, I just wanted to say uh, I'm, I'm sad that I can't be in the choir. Um, I can't sing, and I learned this very vividly. I was in the eighth grade men's choir. I don't know why they called it a men's choir at my middle school, but they did. And we sang hits like That's Amore and um, Pretty Woman. And afterwards, uh, I asked my mom how it was, and she said, it was fine. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you, uh, the mic was right in front of you. <laughs> so that's when I took up the drums. Um, also, if you're wondering why there's a small blank, maybe printed partially on the back piece of paper in your bulletin, it will make sense in a little bit. Can you get a basket? Yeah. So by way of introduction, again, my name is Douglas. Uh, my wife, Leah, uh, is sitting here a few rows back. Uh, we serve on the worship team together. Um, we've been here at um, LBIC for about a year and a half. Um, I love my cats. I love listening to vinyl records and taking long walks on the disc golf course. But I also refer to myself as a theological and denominational mutt. Now, what I mean by that is in my upbringing, I've been swimming through several different theological streams. So I was born into a Catholic family, so I was raised in a Catholic church, received my first communion, uh, experienced confirmation. At my first confession, I peed my pants, and I didn't confess it. Until now. I, I, peed, I peed my pants. Father Dom was very scary. But then years later in middle school, I like to take credit for leading my family to a Presbyterian church. It was partially because I was involved in a youth group there called the Presby Preps, the coolest youth group name I've ever heard. But this church hosted the Friday night school dances for the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade and the seventh and eighth grade. And when I was in sixth grade, I was the DJ. So that was super cool. I was like, mom, dad, we should go to this church. And the pastor there was dating a woman, which was very unique growing up Catholic. That was you know, not something I really knew about. Um, and he listened to you too, and now I realize all Christians do. But uh, he also would go to the movies. And so this guy just felt more real to me. So then we were at the Presbyterian Church up until I was uh, in my college age years. And uh, then I found myself in a very different stream at an Assemblies of God church. And through a more Pentecostal charismatic experience, this is where I met Jesus in such a different way than I ever had in Catholicism or Presbyterian. And it was at this church that I gave my life to Jesus in, in a more real and submissive way. I got baptized at this church. Uh, I actually got baptized in a hot tub. And I, I thought it'd be real cheeky if I wore a shirt that, do you guys remember the State Farm ad that had the guy saying, can I get a hot tub? And a hot tub appears. I had that shirt. So I wore, can I get a hot tub while getting baptized in a hot tub? I regretted it immediately. But at this church, I discovered a calling into student ministry. I started serving in the youth ministry. The youth pastor there took me under his wing and mentored me and discipled me. Um, I ended up pursuing theological education through an Assemblies of God uh, theological school called Global University. And I earned all of my credentials to be ordained as a pastor in AG. 
And then I got hired as a student ministry director at a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. So those credentials don't mean a whole lot there. And that's where I served as student ministry director until December 2020. And it was this year leading into Advent and Christmas that I experienced something new. Now, I had been at this church for about three years, and the final year of it was mostly characterized by professional struggle and conflict. It was a really, really difficult time of leading until I was asked to resign from my role, uh, my last day effectively being the day after my birthday. Um, What this meant for Leah and I in 2020 was that we didn't have a church at Christmas. We didn't have a spiritual community at Christmas. Um, I had previously served Christmas Eve every year. I was usually on the drums. Sometimes I was greeting one time. I don't know how I ended up in the nursery. And I made sure to always volunteer for everything else but the nursery. That's just not my bag. Um, But I was used to being at Christmas Eve all day for like eight hours every year. And now we wouldn't even have a place to be at all and a place to be known. We were angry. We were hurt. uh, We felt alone. And in addition to Leah and I feeling that distance and, and not having that place to be on Christmas Eve, I was experiencing the death of a dream because I had thought for the previous eight years I would be a youth pastor for my entire life until I was either dead or told that I was irrelevant. And at that point, I would step aside and be like a courtesy driver for a car dealership, (laughs) which is a high calling. I don't say that in any demeaning way. That's my dream job. Um, So what I met this year at Christmas in 2020 was lament. So we just sang all these beautiful, joyful songs, and I want to hit us with a little bit of contrast therapy that uh, we're going to flip the coin a little bit and learn a little bit about the importance of lament at Christmas. So lament, if you're not familiar with that word, can be defined as a passionate expression of grief, anger, or mourning. It's essentially proclaiming to God things are not right. And lament often also includes petitions or requests for God's presence for his attention, for his deliverance, for divine healing, for protection. And so if we take it one step further from just lament into communal lament, we invite our brothers and sisters in our church body and in our community and our neighbors to lament together for not things that just affect me, but things that affect them and us and we and others throughout our community, country, and the world. So three statements I want to start with, and then we're going to view a communal lament together as kind of our template for understanding this. I think that communal lament is lacking, but it's necessary. Communal lament is unifying for the church body, and communal lament is a cry of protest. So we're going to look this morning at Psalm 80. That's our lectionary reading for today, verses 1 through 7 and 17 through 19. Now, a little bit of background. This psalm is credited to, the authorship is credited to Asaph. Asaph is known as a Levite, so he would have been in the tribe of Levi. Um, Moses and Aaron would fit also within that tribe, and the Levites were most often associated with the priesthood. Now, the historical context of Psalm 80 could be one of three things. Uh, It's still not fully determined, but it maybe was a prayer for the northern kingdom for restoration from their captivity from Assyria. Or this could have been the southern kingdom then praying prayers of restoration for the whole nation of Israel after witnessing the northern kingdom fall. Or it could be a post-exilic prayer for restoration of the nation. But no matter which of those historical time periods this is from, it still rings true that in any of them, it is God's people proclaiming to him communally, things are not right. So if you want to turn your Bibles, I'll also have the verses on the screen behind us. Uh, Because it is a communal lament, we're going to stand and read Psalm 80 together. 
Um, I will read kind of the verses leading up, and then there's a repeated refrain that will be bolded on the screen behind me, verses 3, 7, and 19. We'll read that together as a community. So Psalm 80. And if we could all um, read it to the tune of Lilies of the Covenant. (laughs) All familiar with that one? It's a big hit. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. And together, restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. You may be seated. So communal lament is lacking, but it's necessary. Before LBIC, I had never engaged in lament on a Sunday, and it left me thinking, why is it that so many churches seem to avoid the idea of lament or the practice of lament communally and together? Is it because maybe lament doesn't resolve itself? It doesn't end with an easy answer or a three-step process to find a solution. Maybe lament doesn't really make people feel happy, and so giving might go down on a Sunday where we practice lament. Or maybe you don't get volunteer sign-ups for people to join the ministry opportunities you're presenting. It could be unfriendly to visitors or guests, because a church just saying all the ways that things are not right can be kind of a downer, and so people might not enjoy that. And it seemed that as I look back, there's always been this emphasis on triumph and victory, and not a whole lot of space to just declare, things are not okay. God, where are you? And so lament can sometimes be looked at as just complaining or some type of indicator of a weak faith. But what if lament actually requires robust, robust and strong faith to address God at all in the midst of a trial or despair or hurt? So a quick summary of the psalm we just read. It's essentially saying, hey God, you have led your people before. Right now, things are not right. Things are not okay. Are you asleep? Where are you? We need you. We've been eating and drinking our sorrow and our tears, and our enemies are mocking us. We need you to shine your face upon us. We'll turn back to you. We'll call upon your name. God, we need you to restore us so that we might be saved. In those words, I don't hear complaining. I don't hear weakness. I hear strong and honest faith. It starts off with referring to God as shepherd, which in this is an affirmation of something known about God, that he is caring, he is protective, he is nurturing. But then we contrast that with this idea that, is God asleep? Is he even awake? How else could this violence, this oppression, this injustice be happening? And so here it is, something that is one of the most common 
factors leading to people walking away or people not wanting anything to do with Christianity, and it's the problem of evil. This idea that uh, violence and oppression and hurt and death and pain and loss is happening, but there's still the presence of a good and loving God. I think the lament gives us language to engage this, to engage the problem of evil through faith, not seeking an escape or a deconstruction of it. And when I look back at my season of working in churches and youth ministry, being a part of leadership structures for those churches, I found that lament was lacking as church bodies. Specifically, I'm thinking in the past decade of different seasons where racial injustice and racialized violence was extra prominent and increasingly frequent. I can recall staff meetings when I would come into a meeting and uh, something more recently had happened and I would ask the staff, I would say, uh, when are we going to lament? I, I'm not asking us to take a side or say police this or political that or anything. I just want to know when can we just mourn as a church that brothers and sisters are dying and that there's violence and there's loss and there's families without their fathers or mothers or sisters. And the answer was we're just going to preach the gospel. And so I did what any contrarian rebel with a penchant for protest does, and I set a reminder on my phone five minutes before the staff meeting every week to ask again and again and again, when are we going to lament? Can we just be sad together? We don't need answers. Our church doesn't need answers right now. What we need is a space to pray. And after doing that again and again, I was eventually pulled aside and told to stop because other staff members were getting upset. There's the implication in that that lament and the gospel are somehow at odds with each other. That the gospel doesn't have space for people to say, God, things are not right, we need you, where are you? But what if lament, particularly communal lament, is a necessary part of the gospel? So the refrain that we said together those three times as we read it aloud, you might recognize this idea of God shining his face uh, upon God's people. And the initial God turning away most frequently happened when Israel would um, turn their faces towards other gods. And so God would remove his presence from his people. But here, this is not just a community falling on hard times, but they are truly experiencing God's absence. And this refrain that we said is a, an essential part of every lament. It's the petition and the request, and it's the ask for God's attention and his deliverance. Communal lament is necessary because without it, I don't think we are able to truly engage hurt and pain with God without needing simple, comfortable answers. And we do it not as a, a sign of weakness, but a demonstration of our faith together. And it's also necessary because communal lament is unifying. Dr. Soong Chan Ra, he's also an author, um, he wrote Prophetic Lament and co-authored the book Unsettling Truths with Mark Charles. On a podcast interview recently about communal lament, he shared that lament is critical. It provides a hopeful, positive, and mediating narrative. And then this quote's in your bulletins and also on the screen. He says, now that sounds strange, that lament can be hopeful. Maybe the hope is not in the lament itself, but in the way that lament brings us together across the boundaries and dividing walls of hostility. So in the same way the psalmist describes Israel's despair, communal lament increases our empathy as we, the church body, learn how others are dining on their sorrow and their tears. 
We can bring ours and each other's how longs to God together and be drawn together as a body. That, uh, for things that are not directly affecting us individually, but are burdensome to our brothers and sisters. Psalm 80 then presents an occasion for us to declare together and ask the questions of where is love lacking in our community? Where around us does God seem to be absent? Rather than an answer or a sermon or a lecture that answers why there is suffering, communal lament gives us a loving, consoling, and comforting embrace in our church body. Now, I've shared with my small group and some other folks here in different Bible study moments uh, something that's been really difficult in my life. Um, my, my mom's health has been declining over the last, oh man, when I practiced, I didn't get emotional. Um, for the last seven years or so, my mom's had a cognitive impairment that has progressed to dementia. She's only, she's only 65. And I, I feel like I've been saying goodbye to my mom years before I'm saying goodbye to my mom. Um, and in the midst of this, I'm, I'm trying to support my dad and comfort him and my brothers through all of this. Um, a month ago, we moved her into a nursing home, which means that this Christmas she won't be at home. It's really hard. There's no easy answer for that. There's no clear indicator for this isn't there's no logical solution. This isn't punishment for sin or anything like that. It just sucks. Things are not right. And we need a place to be able to say that together. And when I've shared that with my small group and with other folks, it's been so comforting to hear back to that. I'm so sorry. That's awful. It's all I needed to hear. Because so often when we share a lament, People like to stick their butts in our laments. And what I mean by that is they say, but isn't God still so good? Or but isn't there this happening? Or but at least this? I think lament is an invitation for a lot more ands and a lot less buts. Ands lead us. Are there tissues? Oh, wow. What service? Also, if you're playing LBIC bingo, here's your chance to check the Enneagram box. When I told Brian that I was preaching on lament, he said, yeah, you're a four. <laughs> Guilty as charged. But Anne's, as a response to lament, invites us into a sort of protest. Because if things are not right and God is still good, then where is he? Is he responsible? Is he negligent? Is he silent or is he asleep? And as a side note, our ability as believers, as followers of Jesus, Christians in this world, to engage in lament and to be able to lean in, I think this offers a bridge and an open door to those outside the church. When we can say things are not right and it's not a departure from our faith, it's a demonstration of it. When we can agree that injustice is not right, that there's environmental destruction happening left and right, that people are being abused and taken advantage of, when we can agree with that, we open the door to continued conversation. So lament is a cry of protest. One of my favorite um, poets and activists and musicians, uh, his name's Jason Petty, but his artist name is Propaganda. 
he has this lyric where he says, I don't hate America, I just demand she keeps her promises. That's lament. Lament is to continue in our pursuit of God as our Heavenly Father, Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit as our Comforter, and to be able to say, hey, you promised you would restore things. We still need that. There might be a lot of already parts of the kingdom, but there are so many not yets that we still have yet to experience. That is faith. So the problem of evil and the discovery of trying to answer it is sometimes referred to as a theodicy. Uh, and there's uh, often logical attempts to try and justify and uh, kind of wrap a nice bow on the problem of evil, that it's punishment for sin or a test of one's faith or it's a character-building exercise. But try taking any of those answers and using that to respond to the Holocaust or the Khmer Rouge genocides in Cambodia or the, the native genocides on the land that we walk on and live on today, or any other number of injustices, big, macro, global, or small, in each of our lives. Commentator John Shelley shares about Psalm 80, suggesting that it embraces a theodicy of protest, which cries out to God and insists that God must bear some responsibility for the evil that's taking place. He shares that in Christianity, we're often told to suffer in silence and to be suspicious of any type of protest that essentially doesn't end with an affirmation of insight and a return to faith. He says that Psalm 80 is rooted in an affirmation of faith because it's addressed not to an inactive and a passive God, but to one who speaks and acts in the life of Israel. Psalm 80 is honest. He continues to say that this psalm invites us to recognize how truly thick the darkness is, and to empathize with the cries of protest from all over the world, especially at Christmas. Now, if this idea of protest at Christmas seems offensive to you, consider that the birth of Jesus itself was some sort of cosmic act of protest against violence and oppression and deception. And even within this psalm in verse 17, the references to the Son of Man you have raised up for yourself, we would view this now as a messianic reference. Now, when it was written, it probably wasn't written specifically with Jesus in mind, but that's the gift we have of reading the scriptures through the lens of Christ as we can see all of these signs and arrows pointing towards him. The psalmist embeds within this lament the refrain that we said aloud together to petition for God's face to once again shine on us that we may be saved. And this reveals our faith and our hope in God's power, his love, and his grace to make things right. Author Brian Zond, in his recent book, When Everything's on Fire, has this to say about faith. Faith, by its very nature, is a risky venture. So I choose the risk of disappointment. I do this because it is my experience that God can help me bear the disappointment. But if I quit engaging with God by ceasing to implore divine intervention in our world, and in my life, for fear of disappointment, my soul begins to waste away. I don't want to live in a world where God seems absent just because I don't want to risk disappointment. Today, may we lament communally as a demonstration of our faith, risking the disappointment by engaging God with the ways that things are not right. Let us do it because it's necessary to be able to celebrate all things Christmas while also recognizing injustice and pain, and suffering, and despair in our lives and around us. One of those doesn't negate the other. We can do both. We can be joyful and celebrate Jesus and still hold true that things are not right. 
The birth of Jesus itself is full of hope, peace, joy, and love because things were not right. So in practicing communal lament at Christmas, we are uniting ourselves historically with the traditional church of people before Jesus' first incarnation and the first advent. We can understand their longing. And it also helps us open our hearts and our minds to understand even now we're still longing for that second and full return of Jesus. So we'll get a little clunky here. The worship team can begin to make your way back up. And in the bulletins, you had a small piece of paper. What I'm going to ask, I didn't know that this is something you guys had done before, so maybe this is old hat. Um, I'm going to ask that on that piece of paper uh, that you might write a lament um, that, will, that will be read aloud, so you can write it as anonymously um, as you wish. These laments can be personal. It can be job loss, um, death of a friend or family member. Um, it can be academic struggles. Maybe school's been really hard this semester for some of the younger folks in, in the room. Maybe you've had a bad sports season or a loss of a friendship, financial troubles, marriage or parenting woes. Lament for your neighbors. Maybe you're bringing something this morning to share that doesn't affect you or anybody in this room, but it affects somebody very near and dear to you. Maybe we lament for things happening in our surrounding community, for the city of Lancaster, or for something else happening in the county. Lament for our country. Laments for the world. Share them as simply and clearly as you can while remaining anonymous. I, for example, will be writing on mine um, that my mom was recently moved into a nursing home. And that's all it will say. As we move into this time of... um, of singing this song, so there will be a song, uh, Light of the World, and while that song is being played, um, you can all take time to write your laments, and then after that, we'll move into a time of communion, um, and then you can bring your laments and put them in the basket here up front, um, and then after communion, I'll have a few friends help me read those and pray together. Um, yeah, so everybody's up here? Everybody's good? Can, can I pray really quickly? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to engage communal lament. May it uh, unite us, and may it be a, um, an experience that affirms the pain and the suffering that many of us are experiencing or that know people who are experiencing. Um, and, and may this be something that we can hold in tension with the joy and the hope and the peace and the love of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>